Hi, book besties. Welcome back to Shelf Care. I'm Maddie, and Claire is actually not here this week, tragically. We've both had kind of crazy weeks, and she is today celebrating her birthday. Happy birthday, Claire. But yeah, it's just me this week, and I'm super excited for our topic. So before we get into that, um, I'll talk about my current read and our creator shout out. So I actually have kind of a lot to talk about as far as current reads go. Kind of a lot going on recently, but I recently finished The Rosie Project, which was so cute. It's a very cute and sweet love story and the main character whose perspective it's told from is on the autism spectrum. And it's a really sweet story and I love how it, you know, both validates and celebrates neurodivergence. So that was very cute and sweet and just a lot of fun. And then I also finished um, Queen of Shadows, which is the fourth book in the Throne of Glass series. And now I'm reading Empire of Storms, the fifth book in the series, very fun. Um, you know, lots going on at this point in the series. I have two more books left and then a novella. So looking forward to that. And then um, I listened to The Rosie Project and then I needed a new audiobook once I finished that. And I ended up landing on Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And I haven't read anything by either of those authors before, but I've wanted to. I've heard so much about both of them. And I have seen stuff about the Good Omens show. So I've had this book on my mind for a while. And then I looked up the audiobook and it turns out that the cast from the show are all performers and readers on the audiobook. Like it's a full cast audiobook with people from the show, which is so fun. Like it has David Tennant and I want to say like Michael Sheen. I could be wrong. But um, yeah, anyway, lots of fun. And it's so cute and silly and just funny. And so I definitely recommend that, you know, on its own, but especially as an audiobook, it's a lot of fun because it's a full cast. Um, okay, getting into a creator. I thought this would be a great week to shout out Meg from post accessories. Um, a lot of my Utah girlies will know her. She makes the cutest earrings and she, I want to say it was last year. It might've been the year before, but she got into reading in a big way and started a really fun bookstagram. She's just hilarious and has the most fun personality. And so she started a bookstagram and then just recently she started a new shop for bookish accessories. So basically everything besides earrings, which is what she does on post accessories. She has a whole line on post that's ACOTAR themed, which is so fun. But this new shop is called Page, and they just had their first launch last night of the cutest Kindle cases I've ever seen in my life. And I'm actually so mad because I set my alarm for 15 minutes before the drop. And then literally within the 15 minutes between my alarm going off and the drop happening, I got distracted and forgot about it. And the cases sold out in like five minutes or something, at least the one that I wanted. Um, and I looked, I remembered it like you know, 825 or something. So 25 minutes after the drop. 
And I looked and it was entirely sold out of my generation of Kindle, which like I'm so happy for her. Like, honestly, I'm obviously devastated and kicking myself, but it just makes me so happy for Meg because she just is so fun and cute and talented and just deserves all the success that she's getting. And so I'm very anxiously awaiting a restock for the cutest Kindle cases in the world. But um, in the meantime, go check her out. Her bookstagram is at Meg is a reader now. Her bookish merch shop is called page.theshop. And then her earrings, which you should also check out, is at Post Accessories. And literally just everything she touches is magic. And I'm obsessed with her. And yeah, I'm looking forward to her restock. And she has the best taste in books and accessories. So go check her out. Okay, so this week we're talking about Brandon Sanderson and specifically the Cosmere. And I'll get into that, you know, in a minute, but just kind of an intro to Brandon Sanderson and my relationship with his work. I really credit Brandon Sanderson with getting me back into reading in the way that I was as a kid. You know, I didn't really read very much in college or really at all in college. And then I graduated and I started reading a little bit, but I really felt like I was doing a lot of it out of obligation and I was kind of forcing myself to read a lot of things. And there were definitely things that I enjoyed and had fun with, but it wasn't the way it is now where I just am constantly reading and it's, you know, my favorite hobby. And the thing that changed besides me getting a Kindle, that definitely helped, (laughs) but Really, once I got into Brandon Sanderson, it just changed the game for me and brought the magic back into reading that it always had as a kid. And I just am so grateful for that because I feel like I've really been able to kind of connect to my roots as a reader because growing up, like I was always reading. I always had my nose in a book. Like it was a core part of my personality. And as I got older, I kind of lost that. You know, I would think about it and I would think like, I guess like books aren't ever going to be as magic as an adult as they were when I was a kid. And then I got into Brandon Sanderson and he proved me so wrong. So I guess kind of just by way of introduction for him, um, he's a very accomplished fantasy author. He lives in Utah and he teaches at BYU And I avoided Brandon Sanderson's work for a long time, even when I got into reading, partly because I knew he was from Utah and I worried that his stuff would feel too Utah, but mostly because for some reason I didn't think I would like fantasy as an adult. I think I assumed that adult fantasy would be stuffy and boring. Maybe I just thought that, I don't know, I was supposed to be more like mature, for lack of a better term, which is so dumb. You know, as we talked about last week, I think fantasy provides such a cool platform for exploring very mature topics and themes. But that aside, um, eventually enough people recommended Way of Kings that I caved and started reading it. And from the time I started reading Way of Kings, seven months from them, I had read all but one of the Cosmere novels. I was just like in it. I was hooked 
um, I went to his convention in Utah last year and it was a lot of fun. It was so fun to just dress up and see everyone else's creative costumes and just like nerd out for a couple days. And he did a Q&A and a reading from one of the things he's working on now. And it was just so much fun. So I guess kind of history of Brandon Sanderson's work. He had written a few novels, including Elantris and the original Mistborn trilogy in like the 2000s. And then around, I think it was like 2009, 2010, he was asked to finish the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan after Robert Jordan died. So he started working on that in like the late aughts. And from what I hear, that work really kind of leveled him up and he learned so much from that process, just kind of having to manage a world that was as complex as the Wheel of Time world really taught him a lot of things. Brandon Sanderson has a bunch of series, many of which take place in the Cosmere, and that's what I'm going to focus on today. I have read Everything he has in the Cosmere, aside from Arcanum Unbounded, which is a collection of novellas, but it is in my Kindle library as we speak. I just haven't gotten around to it. Other than that, I've read everything he has in the Cosmere, and it's safe to say I just really fell in love with his work. And I kept telling people when I was in, especially The Way of Kings, but just the Cosmere in general, um, it felt the same way that Harry Potter did as a kid where it was so magical and these characters were my friends and I just loved spending time in all these worlds. So intro to the Cosmere, it is Brandon Sanderson's multiverse. I mean, I guess it's more of just a universe with all these different solar systems and each story takes place on a different planet. That being said, it doesn't feel like space opera. There's not space travel the way you think of it in a sci-fi way like the stories feel very intimate and localized and you know you're just really invested in all these different worlds but in the background they all connect because they're all in the same universe and there's fun crossovers and all this stuff but I guess what I'll get into first is what I love about these books so first of all just the world building each world is so creative and unique and he does such an amazing job immersing you in them The magic systems go crazy. He has them all mapped out to a science. I'll get into them more and how they're connected later. The characters, probably my favorite aspect of Brandon Sanderson. He writes some of the most gorgeous, inspiring character development I've ever read. And all his characters are so unique and have these very individual progressions and growth and things they work on and figure out. And you go through times of loving them and times of wanting to punch them in the face. And they're all just so good and complex and deep and relatable. So I love them. Um, The pacing is also really good and the action scenes are cool and creative and exciting. The last 20% of pretty much every one of his books goes absolutely crazy and um, his fans have come to call kind of like the climax to the end of his books. They call it the Sanderlanch, which I (laughs) just love. Um, And I know once I get to around 80%, of any of his books, I should just expect to finish the book in one sitting from that point on. Other than that, there's just really awesome and inspiring human stories and good exploration of mental illness through his characters. So the basic setting of the overall Cosmere, you know, we talked about how it's this universe with all these different solar systems and planets and worlds and stuff. The way they're all connected is through kind of the base magic system called Investiture. 
and it manifests itself in different ways on each world. So in one of his novels called Warbreaker, it's through colors and breath. In Mistborn, it's through metal, but it's all just different forms of investiture. Each world also has different gods and theology, sometimes multiple theologies. And without getting too deep into the lore, a lot of that is based on kind of what's going on at the universal level. It's really interesting, kind of the the theological setting of Brandon Sanderson is very interesting because I always think about like Lord of the Rings, for example, has a set theology. You know, everyone believes in this one thing and that one thing is true and like proven and basically science. Like it's not even theology at that point. The opposite end of that spectrum, I think, is Game of Thrones, which I haven't read, but I've seen the show. I will see if I read the books if he finishes the series. (laughs) But Game of Thrones, you know, if you watch the show or read the books, you know that there's all these different religions and there's not really any good answers as far as what is, quote, correct. You know, they it's very much like our real world where there's all these different religions and they all have evidence for and against their individual like theologies and belief systems. The magic in the world of Game of Thrones supports multiple different theologies in different ways. And so I would say Brandon Sanderson's work falls kind of in the middle of that where there is kind of confirmed stuff going on at the universal level where there are like these quote-unquote gods that influence things at just kind of like that higher level. But at the same time, there's also different theologies on all of his worlds and different beliefs, and they all relate to those gods differently, as well as I think one thing that he explores really well is the question of, okay, like we know that this person had a lot of power, but does that make them God or is there something more? Which I think is a really interesting question. Okay, so that is kind of the theology and basic setting of the Cosmere. As far as the individual series go, all his series start out pretty isolated, but as you keep going in them, they get progressively more intertwined if you know what you're looking for, which is really fun. So there's a lot of fun cameos and politics to figure out and think through both in the individual series level, as well as the Cosmere level, which is a lot of fun. Um, It's really cool because there will be characters, there's one specifically that I'm thinking of, that you love in one series, and then the characters show up in another series, and they're like kind of evil in that context. And it's just so cool how he explores different perspectives and motivations that way. Okay, so let's do an intro to each world. So Mistborn is what we'll start with. It's set on a dystopian world covered in ash. Every night there are these thick supernatural mists that cover everything. Magic is called allomancy and it comes from ingesting metal. Different metals give you different powers and most allomancers can only successfully use one type of metal but a few people are able to use all of them and these people are called mistborn. Okay and then I'll read what's on the back cover. For a thousand years, the ash fell and no flowers bloomed. For a thousand years, the ska slaved in misery and lived in fear. For a thousand years, the Lord Ruler, the sliver of infinity, reigned with absolute power and ultimate terror, divinely invincible. 
Then, when hope was so long lost that not even its memory remained, a terribly scarred, heartbroken half-ska rediscovered it in the depths of the Lord Ruler's most hellish prison. Kelsier snapped and found in himself the powers of a mistborn. A brilliant thief and natural leader, he turned his talents to the ultimate caper, with the Lord Ruler himself as the mark. Kelsier recruited the underworld's elite, the smartest and most trustworthy allomancers, each of whom shares one of his many powers, and all of whom relish a high-stakes challenge. Only then does he reveal his ultimate dream, not just the greatest heist in history, but the downfall of the divine despot. But even with the best criminal crew ever assembled, Kel's plan looks more like the ultimate long shot, until luck brings a ragged girl named Vin into his life. Like him, she's a half-ska orphan, but she's lived a much harsher life. Vin has learned to expect betrayal from everyone she meets and gotten it. She will have to learn to trust if Kel is to help her master powers of which she never dreamed. This saga dares to ask a simple question. What if the hero of prophecy fails? Okay, so that is Mistborn. It's really fun. I talked about it in the last episode, um, the intro to fantasy episode. It's just such a fun world. The first three books are kind of classic epic fantasy. It's a weird mix of like kind of gothic... um, you know, like medieval feel, but also some industrial revolution kind of vibes or pre-industrial revolution. I don't know. Um, But it's just a lot of fun and really cool characters and very inspiring and just a fun story. The next series I want to talk about is my favorite, and it's called The Stormlight Archive. The first book is called The Way of Kings, And this is Brandon Sanderson's kind of magnum opus, and he's still working on it, but it's definitely his baby. And I would say you can tell, like, it's definitely my favorite of all his series. It's so well-developed. The characters are amazing. Like, it's just a perfect fantasy series, if you ask me. If you want to read it, I would definitely recommend watching a YouTube video called Welcome to Roshar by Invicta. And it just kind of goes over the setting and some kind of basic things to know as you get into it so that you can kind of have your footing under you because it is a very complex world and there's a lot of world building going on. And so it definitely helps to have a primer. But the basic setting is that there's one continent on the planet. The planet is called Roshar. And it gets these crazy random storms called high storms that always go east to west. And the high storms start out like a hurricane, but by the time it gets to the end of the continent, it's much lighter. And so the landscape is super varied based on evolving differently to the high storms and how they affect the land, you know, on the east versus on the west. And there's a ton of different nations with their own cultures and languages and religions. We start out primarily following Kaladin, Shallan, and Dalinar, who are all from the eastern half of the continent. And I will read the back cover of this one as well. It has been centuries since the fall of the ten consecrated orders known as the Knights Radiant, but their shard blades and shard plate remain, mystical swords and suits of armor that transform ordinary men into near-invincible warriors. Men trade kingdoms for shard blades. Wars were fought for them and won by them. 
One such war rages on a ruined landscape called the Shattered Plains. There, Kaladin, who traded his medical apprenticeship for a spear to protect his little brother, has been reduced to slavery. In a war that makes no sense, where ten armies fight separately against a single foe, he struggles to save his men and to fathom the leaders who consider them expendable. Bright Lord Dalinar Kolin commands one of those other armies. Like his brother, the late king, he is fascinated by an ancient text called the Way of Kings. Troubled by overpowering visions of ancient times in the Night's Radiant, he has begun to doubt his own sanity. Across the ocean, an untried young woman named Shalon seeks to train under an eminent scholar and notorious heretic, Dalinar's niece, Yasna. Though she genuinely loves learning, Shalon's motives are less than pure. As she plans a daring theft, her research for Yasna hints at the secrets of the Night's Radiant and the true cause of the war. So that is kind of the intro to Stormlight Archive. And this is probably my favorite series I've ever read. The world building, character development, politics, literally everything is so good. It really just sucks you in and the journeys that you go on with all these characters are so just powerful and impactful and I just can't recommend it enough. Okay, the next book that we'll talk about is so far a standalone, but Brandon Sanderson has said that he wants to write, I think, at least one more. I don't know how many more he has planned, but he wants to continue the series. But the first book is called Warbreaker. I think the easiest way to explain it would just be, again, to read the back cover. So in the world of Warbreaker, each person is born endowed with the power of one breath, which can be sold and collected by others, then used to awaken objects and even corpses to do their bidding. A few individuals who die in glory return as gods with the power of thousands of breath, but no memory of their mortal lives and are enthroned in the court of gods in Halandren's capital. To Vivenna and Ciri, princesses of Idris, the abuse of breath and the claim of their return to be gods are repugnant blasphemy. But with one princess wed to the god-king of their nation's enemies in a bid for peace, the other finds she must rely on breath-using mercenaries to try to rescue her sister from her monstrous husband. Lightsong the Bold, a lesser god who doubts his own religion, starts investigating mysterious murders in the court of gods and uncovers haunting clues to his own forgotten past. He is one of four gods who controls the army of awakened lifeless soldiers, and one faction is inciting an invasion of Idris despite the marriage treaty. Vasher, wielder of the sapient sword Nightblood, works behind the scenes against the declaration of war, but Lightsong's visions of bloodshed prophesy its inevitability. Can the new queen, unaware of her sister's imminent rescue attempt, persuade Lightsong and also somehow get through to the aloof god-king, who she has been forbidden to speak to or even look in the eyes, before her homeland is destroyed? Okay. That is Warbreaker, and it's also a lot of fun. Also cool characters. I feel like a broken record. Warbreaker is a lot of fun. I would say it's one of his more underrated novels just because, well, I don't know if it's underrated as much as quietly beloved by his fans. I think it's one that doesn't get quite as much attention as his other series, you know, maybe publicly, but a lot of his fans who have read multiple Cosmere novels and not just Mistborn or Stormlight Archive, a lot of those people will say like, oh, Warbreaker is actually my favorite or, you know, no one talks about Warbreaker enough. So yeah, it's really fun and really good. Okay, the next book I'm going to talk about is Elantris. And this is Brandon Sanderson's first novel. The basic premise is that there was a city called Elantris where these godlike beings lived. And the transformation to become one of those beings could happen to anyone, 
But 10 years before the start of the book, something happened that effectively reversed this transformation and kind of cursed all the Elantrians. And they're now these gross, sickly, almost zombies. Like they're not, they're not actually zombies, but it's giving zombie. Um, the transformation can still happen to anyone, but now they turn into spooky, gross people instead of a god. And I won't get into the magic system because discovering that is part of the book. But yeah, that's kind of the basic premise. And it follows Raiden, who is a prince of this nation that disappears. I won't tell you why. And then it follows Hrothin. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he is a priest of a different nation. And he's been charged to either convert all the people of Raiden's kingdom or kill them. And so that is another really interesting journey that we get to follow. And then Seren, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she is the princess of another nation. And she was betrothed to Raiden, but then he disappeared. And so she's trying to figure out what's going on there. I honestly went into it with low expectations because it kind of, it doesn't get a bad rap, but... It's definitely one of his lesser talked about books and it is his first one. And so I think I went into it thinking, you know, I'm just going to read it for what it is. But I was so pleasantly surprised. Some of the actual, you know, prose was a little bit clunkier and like the dialogue and stuff was not quite as smooth as it is in his novels now. But it was still very compelling and it had all the hallmark elements of what makes a great Brandon Sanderson novel. World building, character development, magic system, pacing, all of those fun substance things that make Brandon Sanderson such a great author. So I really loved Elantris and I would still recommend reading it. Okay, we have two more. Oh, three more. Yeah, three more before I get into my recommended reading order. So the next one is called Tress of the Emerald Sea, and Tress was his first secret project novel where during COVID, he basically just in secret cranked out, I think it was five books and didn't tell anyone about them. I want to say three of them are in the Cosmere and two of them are not in the Cosmere, but that could be wrong. Anyway, to promote the secret projects, he did a Kickstarter and it was the most successful Kickstarter of all time. I forget how much money he grossed, but it was like leaps and bounds higher than any other Kickstarter ever, which is so cool and just makes me so happy for him. Like he just loves what he does so much and his fans love him and it's just so cute. Anyway, so Tress is the first one that came out and it came out in January, I want to say, of this year. And the basic premise is that it's set on a world with these oceans made of different kinds of spores. And when the spores come into contact with water, they sprout into different things. So like on the Emerald Sea, where Tress's Island is, they sprout into vines, but not like cute ones, like they can impale you. And you can learn to control the spores and how they sprout. And these people are called sprouters. So reading the back cover again. 
The only life Tress has known on her island home in an emerald green ocean has been a simple one, with the simple pleasures of collecting cups brought by sailors from faraway lands and listening to stories told by her friend Charlie. But when his father takes him on a voyage to find a bride and disaster strikes, Tress must stow away on a ship and seek the sorceress of the deadly midnight sea. Amid the spore oceans where pirates abound, can Tress leave her simple life behind and make her own place sailing a sea where a single drop of water can mean instant death. So that is Tress. It's a lot of fun. I keep saying these are fun, but they're so fun. And one thing about Tress that is different is the perspective. So all the novels that I mentioned before are kind of classic third person limited POV with different characters that it follows in different chapters or whatever. And the tone is much more impartial, I guess. Um, and serious. However, in Tress, Brandon Sanderson used it as an opportunity to kind of get a little more creative with his storytelling. Not that he needed to, because he's very creative, but very creative with his writing style. And it's told from the perspective of this one character that shows up in every one of his novels. And this character's name is Hoyd. I won't get too much into it, but every Cosmere novel has Hoyd in it and Hoyd's kind of role is a storyteller and so both Tress and Yumi are from the perspective of Hoyd telling someone a story and it's really fun because there's a lot more personality injected into just the narration of the story so that's Tress the next one is Yumi which is also a secret project and that one just came out like a month ago and it blew me away. I'll get into the setting first and the back cover and then I'll talk about my feelings about it. But there's two main settings. One is a city in permanent darkness and there are these shadow monsters called nightmares that can come out of the darkness and the people in the city have figured out that they can neutralize the nightmares by painting them into something else and making them take a different form. So it kind of reminds me of like a boggart where you like cast the spell and think of something funny that you want to turn it into and then it turns into that it's kind of like that where there are these painters that go out and paint the nightmares into something else and make them take a different form this first setting I mean obviously not like the magic and the nightmares and everything but the just kind of the base city setting and the feel of it is inspired by modern day Tokyo and then the other setting is inspired by historical Korea, um, especially in kind of the village areas. Brandon Sanderson actually served an LDS mission in Korea, fun fact. So that's where this inspiration came from. Um, but the other setting takes place throughout these little villages where women called Yoki Hijo travel from town to town and stack rocks as an art form. And this summons spirits that then help the towns with various problems like light and heat and stuff like that. So reading the back cover, Yumi comes from a land of gardens, meditation, and spirits, while Painter lives in a world of darkness, technology, and nightmares. When their lives suddenly become intertwined in strange ways, can they put aside their differences and work together to uncover the mysteries of their situation and save each other's communities from certain disaster? These all end in questions, but they're all very long, so it's kind of funny to read out loud. Anyway, okay, Yumi and the Nightmare Painter is so beautiful. It is hands down my favorite book that I've read this year and everything about it is just so stunning from 
the prose and the romance, both of which Brandon Sanderson is not known for, he will readily admit to anyone, you know, like I don't have the most stunning prose in the whole world, but I would say that Yumi puts that argument away entirely. Like it is just so beautiful. It's so beautifully written. You're so immersed in these really cool settings and then also the romance. So I also love to read romance novels. And in all his other books, I haven't been so blown away by the romance subplots of these books. But in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, it is just the most tender, stunning love story. The relationships and the character development, but I would say where it really shines is the relationships that it explores. It just is so good and everyone needs to read it. If you've read Stormlight Archive, I would say read it immediately. If you haven't read Stormlight Archive and you're okay with putting aside some references that might not make sense, then I also say read it immediately. There are a couple things here and there that are like just referenced that will make more sense if you read Stormlight, but it's not the end of the world. Like just as long as you go into it saying, okay, I know there are going to be some things that I don't understand and that's fine, then you'll be good. But yeah, everyone needs to read it. It's so gorgeous. I cried so much. Okay, the last series that I'm going to talk about is called White Sand, and this is a graphic novel. I haven't read this yet, but I really want to. Back cover, again, on the planet of Taldane, the legendary sandmasters harness arcane powers to manipulate sand in spectacular ways. But when they are slaughtered in a sinister conspiracy, the weakest of their number, Kenton, believes himself to be the only survivor. With enemies closing in on all sides, Kenton forges an unlikely partnership with Chris, a mysterious darksider who hides secrets of her own. Um, Yeah, I think this is probably the one that is the least read by his fans in the Cosmere, just because it is the graphic novel format. And that's not, you know, it's obviously different. But I think it's so cool that he branched out into this format and... From what I've heard, my husband has read it and he loved it and said it was a really cool story. And from what I am aware of, I believe Chris, which they mentioned in the back cover summary, I believe she is kind of an important like background figure in the Cosmere. Um, Okay, so getting into a recommended reading order. This is going to be different from every single person you talk to who has read these books Everyone has their own opinions. And in the end, I don't think it totally matters because there's not necessarily a sequence to the crossovers. They're kind of all over the place. And there's always going to be just like certain things that you realize retroactively. That being said, here is my recommended reading order based on both Cosmere Timeline things and just introduction slash warming up to his writing and world building style. So I would say start with the Mistborn trilogy. So three books, then read Mistborn Secret History, which is a novella. Pretty short. Get through it pretty fast. Then I would read Warbreaker, which is a standalone. Then I would read Stormlight Archive. I would include the novellas. So that's four books so far and two novellas. Then I would read Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Then Tress of the Emerald Sea. Then Mistborn Era 2, which is four books. And then Elantris. Disclaimer, if you're only going to read one of these and you are already into fantasy, I would read Stormlight Archive. It's my favorite series ever, and I think it's his most impressive world-building politics and characters. So that is it for my introduction to the Cosmere. 
I would love to do another episode with another fan of his work where we talk more in depth about what we love about the different books and just kind of have more of a spoilery discussion of the Cosmere. But as far as just kind of an intro, and if you're looking to get into it, that is my pitch. And I really just love Brandon Sanderson. I think he can do no wrong. Every single thing I've read by him is just a lot of fun and almost always makes me cry. And I really just am so glad that I finally got bullied into reading his stuff because he's very quickly become my favorite author. So that is all for today, but we'll see you next week. Bye.